Welcome to the Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Tobias Dahlberg, founder and chief strategist at Wonder Inc. And in this episode, if you're into brand and branding, you're in for a special treat. We have the one and only Marty Neumeyer on the show. Marty, in case there's someone who isn't familiar with his work, is the author of The Brand Gap, Zag, The 46 Rules of Genius, Meta Skills, and most recently, The Brand Flip. Marty is an author with a background as a designer and as, as a consultant, and you can really see that in his work, in his writing. He's one of those really rare people, actually I think the only one, who's been able to break away from the conventional business book format. And so he packages these really complex problems, returns complex problems into simple, powerful ideas that he delivers in a very easy-to-understand language, men metaphors and stories. His books are typically fairly short, and just like great modernist design, all the unnecessary is removed. He only delivers the essentials, the gold, and continuing in the spirit of modernist design, less is really more with Marty's books. To a brand geek like myself, I consider his work more like business poetry. It's just beautiful. There's so many powerful ideas that you could take to heart and you can implement them. And I think he's the genius of Marty Neumeyer is that he stands out. He stands on his own, just like he teaches. So my advice to you, and this is advice I've given probably to 100 people by now, is that if you're someone who wants to learn about brands and branding and you, you're wondering what you should read, and you know there's over 10,000 titles on Amazon only and, you know, that in some way covers brands and branding, and people ask me this all the time because I'm a brand geek and people know I read a lot. They ask me what they should read. And I always tell them, get all of Marty's books. They're short and you will find that all the most powerful ideas and the principles that you need to learn are in his books. So that is great advice. And on a personal note, and I, I'm sure you can hear this from me, Ever since I came across Marty's work about 10 years ago, I've been a fan, I've been a cheerleader, I've been a student of his work, and more recently, I've had the privilege to call Marty even a friend and a mentor, and he's been really generous with me, sharing his idea and his advice over the past few years, something I am forever grateful to Marty for. So, in this episode, I decided, because there's so much powerful stuff in Marty's work that I decided to turn this into two different podcast sessions. Our conversation lasted for almost two hours, and I'm, I'm distilling that into one hour split over two episodes. And for those Marty fans out there, I'm sure there's plenty of you, there will be a new book out by Marty in the fall, which will be called Scramble. And we're going to do a separate episode uh, on that during the fall. But this, these two episodes are really about just discussing the essential questions of brands and brand building. If you want to connect with Marty, the best way is just to go to his website, martynewmeyer.com. And if I were you, I would definitely sign up for his newsletter because then you'd be informed about new products 
uh, new services and upcoming workshops or his new book launches. And he writes a lot and he posts a lot of things. You can also find him on LinkedIn or on Twitter, but his newsletter and his website is definitely where I would recommend you to go. So martinneumeyer.com. I hope that you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoy doing it. There's so much to be learned. There's so much to be implemented on your road to building an extraordinary brand. So welcome, Marty. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tobias. It's very nice to be here talking with you. So there's so many things to talk about, and I've had the privilege to interview you on a couple of occasions in the, during the last uh, four years or so. And uh, so I thought maybe we wouldn't do the same thing we've done before where we go through all, all of the books. There's obviously a, a, a large body of work, but I thought I would a little bit pick and choose here and there and uh, with the aim of really helping the audience get as much out of, out of your thinking as possible, and especially when it comes to the sort of practical ideas, the, the ideas that you can take and use for your, whether you're a small business owner or entrepreneur or a big one, I think the, the same principles will apply. So I made a list of, of what I call Marty-isms, which are, which are your ideas that have kind of taken their own life and have spread over the internet and uh, that I hear in boardrooms, uh, people having conversations about brands. And I think you'll, you will very easily um, identify which those are. So I thought if we go through some of the martyrs, and then uh, it'd be nice to hear your thoughts, how you came up with those ideas and what they really mean. So, so the, so the audience, audience will get a good understanding of that. So if we start really at the very core of defining what a brand is, so you say in, in the brand gap, you started by saying a brand is not what you say it is, it's what they say it is. And then you go on and defining brand as a brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. Can you open up a little bit? What did you think when you, you, when you uh, wrote that definition? I think I was realizing that um, companies were just used to broadcasting their, their content, their, their advertising and messaging in sort of a one-way conversation. Yeah, because that's how it worked. You know, you, you you put out TV commercials and print ads, and and the audience didn't talk back at all, right? I mean, this, we just <laughs> they they accept it or they reject it or they puzzle over it, um, but you never really hear back from them, right? Right. So, um, and they just got used to being in charge. They felt like it's 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 our brand, it's our product, and we tell the world what it is. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that really leaves out the response of the audience. Right? So the audience actually has an opinion about all this stuff, and mostly they hate it. They, they, hate, <laughs> they hate all the advertising. They hate all this stuff. There's, there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, it's just the way it is. They just, like, and go on with their day. And they still buy the products because they need them, you know, and, mm. and this is the information they're getting, so they work with it. But... Um, that's not really what a brand is. So the, a brand is really more like your reputation. Hmm. It's what people think about you. And it's really a good idea to know what that is. Yeah. And so, so you call it a gut feeling. Like what's, what's yeah. the difference? Why didn't you just say think? You know, is that like think and feel and gut? Because I, I think a lot of people have, have caught up on that gut idea, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, you could say it's a perception. Yeah. But to me, that's a little technical. 
Yeah. Um, and, and also a perception sounds pre- more precise. Mm. Uh, and I think it's not. I think it's uh, really rough. You know, s- someone's idea of a of what a product or a company is about is pretty pretty approximate. So it's a gut feeling. It's just like I think I know what they do. At least I I know enough. I don't I don't care to know anymore. It's enough to go on. Um, so I'm going to buy this other product <laughs> and yeah. not that one. But um, but that's that's all you can expect from people because they have lives. Yeah, They're not going to yeah. be like. You know, just like worrying about your product and its features, and you know, I mean, some people do, yes, yeah, yeah. But most most people don't have time for that. So let's not let's not fool ourselves. Yeah, I I think that's that is a powerful insight. I I've been going around schools and and delivering these um, presentations on on really like the fundamentals of branding uh, for some years, and I used to open with a bunch of pictures and logos and just asked people, you know. You just tell me what comes to mind. And then I ended with your definition, actually, which, which goes back to the gut feeling. And it was really powerful. I sometimes wish that the, you know, some of my clients would have been in the room because it's sad how little people actually remember on really how, how few associations, how few meanings that people associate with some brands that are pouring in billions of dollars into yeah. advertising or, or trying to, to stand for something. Well. <clears throat> That that is remarkable. How much money is spent on bad advertising, ineffective advertising? Um, it's it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. They don't know what they're doing. They're just you know checking boxes. Like we've got so many you know uh, eyeballs in on this in this uh, channel and so many over here and um, check check check. We've done our job. You know and and then here's your bill. So yeah, this is the advertising agencies talking. Yeah, um, and and I think most of them know that the work isn't effective, but this is what they do. It's the best they can do. Um, but so I think it's really up to the companies to be a little more skeptical and say, "How do we know this is going to work?" Yeah, um, and I think it's up to agencies to show clients why this will work, because sometimes they're not very good at proving that their ide- good ideas are, are really good. Yeah, because um, I don't. I don't think they know. It's just they're using gut feeling too. So it's gut feeling speaking to gut feeling, <laughs> yeah. um, and maybe that's okay. Sometimes it depends on how good your gut feeling is. <laughs> a gut leaning a gut. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So maybe since it's early in the podcast, we could stick with definitions. So, uh, I think what is fascinating is there's so much talk about what the difference between you know advertising and marketing and branding so maybe we could just you know deal with that first there, there's another idea that, that you, you're famous for is this picture i think it's in the sag book where you where you um there are the silhouettes of different people and then you explain the difference between advertising telemarketing uh marketing but, but pretty much if i simplify it it's like you're saying that marketing is, and advertising is is basically the the man explaining to the woman that I'm a great lover. You should believe me. And then branding is the woman saying, "I understand you're a great lover." Is that pretty fair to say? That's that's, that's the example. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's um, you know so advertising is sort of outbound communication. It's you telling the world <clears throat> who you are and what they think what they should think about you. Yeah. And branding is the result of that, which might not always be what you. Th- think it should be so you can tell the world hey you're you're a great lover and the world says i hate that attitude (laughs) (laughs) so i'll make up my own mind thank you very much 
Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, so you really need to think about, um, you know, communication, business communication as a two-way conversation now, mm. uh, because it is. And I would say a lot of them, the important conversation doesn't even have you in the loop. It's between peers. It's be- between customers telling yeah. each other yeah. what they think about you. So often a brand is what people say when you're not in the room. Right, yeah. And and how would you define, uh, how would you compare branding with, with marketing? Like is is this like, well, let's say if, if we agree that marketing is a, is a broader concept than marketing communications and advertising and, and just like sending messages, how would you compare those two? Well, marketing tends to be, in, in my experience, more uh, tactical. And branding is more strategic. Hmm. Branding is more aligned with um, management concerns, yeah, uh, and the long view, <clears throat> the the big picture and the long view. Whereas marketing is is basically getting people to buy stuff and keeping them happy about it. You know, so they're related. Yeah, I think the mis- the, the mistake has been that um, branding has been assumed to be like a subset of marketing. Because that's how it started out. It started out as you know, sticking logos on stuff, identifying materials, and identifying companies, um, and creating a voice for the company, and so forth. And um, it's it's not really that way anymore. Yeah, that's, that's old. Thing. So, why do you think that is? The, what caused the change? Why did branding have to grow up or grow more strategic? Well, you know, you have to look at. Just sort of the the big sweep of history uh, in branding, if we can call it part of history. Like the first age, so I think we're in the fourth age of branding. That's kind of the way Mm. I think of it. The the first age was, lasted a long time, and it probably started 10,000 BC (laughs) with uh, the agrarian age. When people settled down and they made stuff and they traded and they, you know, they had currency and... They mark things, you know. I made this pot, um, and you know I did because I put my mark on it. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I own this cow because I put my mark on it. It's kind of like identification. Um, yeah. yeah, identification, it's ownership, it's responsibility, uh, which it still isn't, hasn't changed. Um, but in about 1930, we went, we went into the second age of branding, which kind of grew up with uh, mass communications and was pioneered by people like, or companies like Procter and Gamble, and had a lot to do with packaging and corporate identity. So it's naming things, creating uh, designed logos, and just uh, instead of just uh, whimsical, whatever personal logos, marks, that kind of thing. It became a profession, and that's kind of where most you know the general public is still stuck in that idea of what branding mm-hmm. is. It's just logos and advertising and. I mean, that's what you did. You created a product, and you you made a nice package, uh, created a logo for it, and you jammed it into the into the culture through TV advertising or radio or print. Yeah. And then and then uh, in about 1970, um, a couple guys came along, uh, Jack Trout and Al Rees, and had this um, pretty sophisticated for the time sophisticated idea uh, about this part of branding like, yeah it's all about comp- it said it's about competition mm-hmm. it's about um the, the the idea that customers have a lineup in their head of of competing products like this is the category i'm choosing in 
and I know about these three products. Now I have to figure out which of these three is the right one for me. And I have all these clues, you know, the price, the, the reputation, all this kind of stuff. And so um, they came up with some very elegant ideas about um, competition. And so that that started this whole branding thing in a strategic direction. Um, the problem was, and this is where I grew up. I grew up with those guys, 1970. They came out and I was just starting my career as a designer and I saw that stuff and um, I just went, well, this is, this is brilliant. You know, yeah. this changes, this changes everything. So <laughs> I started using that strategy in all my work. Sounded like um, an Apple slogan or uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. It changes everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but, but it, but that didn't, to me, it didn't come, uh, uh, it didn't create a complete picture because you've got strategy with the strategy is great, but strategy is only half of the half of the equation. The other half is execution. You have to change that strategy into some sort of customer experience. Yeah. How do you, how do you make the, uh, the strategy real for people? How do you bring it to life? What is that? Well, that's going to be design, advertising, product design, uh, management behaviors, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so that's where I jumped in and I said, well, wait a minute, there's a gap between what companies want to do, their strategy, and what customers perceive, yeah, right, which is the brand. So in my view, so that's when I say, oh, it's not what you say it is, it's what they say it is. So it doesn't matter how great your strategy is, yeah. if the strategy doesn't perform in a way that people understand. So you have to be able to translate that strategy into a customer perception. So I wrote the brand gap um, to to uh, outline, you know, or create, you know, sh show people the shape of that, that the missing piece, which is really modern branding, which mm. it's, a, it's a connection between, it's a bridge between um, company strategy and customer experience. So I would call that the fourth age of branding. And we're now getting ready to move into a, another age, I think. I don't know if it's the same age, just getting more sophisticated or a whole new thing, but I suspect mm. it could be a whole new thing, um, and that I think is going to be where we realize that customers are leading companies. That that customers are mm. super important, and and which changes a lot of things about a business. If you if you start to see that uh, and believe it and experience it that, that way, then you realize that the community of customers is every bit as important as the community of of um, employees you know yeah and, and leadership yeah is, so is, now you've got sorry go ahead an, an interesting new territory to explore yeah and do you think that is driven through by competition again or what is driving this this change would you say well i, I think i think technology has changed a lot of stuff in, in a hurry and we're still grappling with all that right yeah sure yeah, yeah so of course, yeah. You know, it, 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 first of all after i wrote that you know that uh, uh branding is a two-way conversation and we shouldn't think of it as a one-way conversation. Right after that, the internet came into play and made it made it true. Yeah. <laughs> right? So now everybody's talking to everybody. Um, customers are talking to each other. Customers are talking to companies. Companies are talking to customers. So we have this sort of pan communication. Everybody's talking. Yeah. Uh, so that really enabled the the era era of customer experience. Um, 
and here we are going into a, a situation where customers are so important that they're actually driving the companies. Yeah. And you can resist that and say, I don't want I don't want customers to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. It sounds really even now it sounds silly to me to have that attitude. It's like, no, customers should be telling you what to do and you, you should thank them and, and give them what they want and they'll pay for it. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's like what what you crazy? <laughs> uh, the engaged customers, you have a problem with that? So, uh, but it, it does create problems because if you don't know how to manage a customer community, um, it could play havoc with your company. They yeah. could turn on you in a minute. So, yeah. you, you know, you live by the brand and you die by the brand. Mm. You know, mm. A brand is, it's a certain level of trust. You're, in a sense, you're promising something to people. Um, there's an implied promise of this is how we, this is who we are, how we're going to behave. And then if you turn on them and do something unexpected, they can turn on you in a minute and they'll just, they'll vanish. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, be very careful with this community. <laughs> it's like, you know, you've got a tiger by the tail. Yeah. I think it's a very fascinating idea. This idea that basically companies are in, in, a, in a way, I guess, losing control. Basically you should, you can't control like where, where you try to mine your backend for competitive advantage, you know, through factories and, and, and cost savings and efficiencies and all that. And now suddenly the power sits with customers and they're very empowered. They have a lot of choice. And, and that leaves you in a kind of maybe a little bit of a scary situation as a company where you realize that you're not, you don't have as much at least perception of control anymore. Yeah. So now you've got a weaponized uh, customer base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One bad experience. Favor. Yeah. And they can, they can really amplify, you know, in both it, ways. It really can spin out of control. Yeah. And um, I think, and yeah. Companies yeah. aren't really set up to understand it, um, or to manage that. And so we're, we're all just kind of learning on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that's where another gap exists, uh, in the internal side of companies where, where, where the mindset is still, uh, and maybe the structures are, are sort of derived from the industrial age yeah, so, thinking, and the, right. it's very still like Mil military separate. thinking. Yeah, and all um, all uh, direction flows from the top. Uh, nothing gets from the bottom to the top. Um, so there's this gap between leaders and 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 customers. Yeah, and so, so I'm 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 recommending to some companies. Um, who have um, a front line of, let's say, help centers where people go to, to solve problems with the product or with the delivery or whatever it is, um, a lot of those are outsourced, right? Yeah. Or they're, or they're, they're um, staffed by low-level people who aren't being paid very much and are not empowered to think for themselves. Mm. I think that's a mistake. I think that's a, actually a really big mistake. If that's the front lines between, if those are the front lines between you and your customers, you want to make sure you have the best people yeah. that are talking with you know, really highly trained, highly paid people who can solve problems and are empowered to bring information from the front lines back to the the, the leaders, so mm. they know what's going on, because things change really quickly, and so if there's a problem, you know, you got to be the godfather out and hear bad news right away. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and I, and so I, that's, that's, that's a good example of where companies haven't caught up with this uh, customer led uh, economy that we have. Yeah. So it's still coming from, from the company side and maybe from the, 
from the top and from the supply side of things and not so much from the from the other direction from from customers mm-hmm. and the companies and yeah yeah um well um you also you've been talking a lot in in not only one book but i think in a few books you've been talking about this um you're a big fan of the no process process uh and a lot of your thinking uh seems to sort of reject this, which we're a little bit touching upon here, where there's like less linearity and there's more complexity. And, and you, 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 you have ideas like um, that we should be changing from deciding to designing and from planning to experimenting. Can you talk a little bit about what, what that means and why we should kind of transition into a more loose or let's say not a linear way of thinking? Is that related to what we just talked about? or It's related to... Um... Um, innovation. So if you're, you know, the world is moving quickly, customers are moving quickly, they're, they can be fickle, um, competitors are always trying to do an end run and, you know, outthink you, outmaneuver you. So you've got to be pretty nimble. Mm-hmm. And the way to be nimble is to have a more collaborative approach to innovation. So instead of doing it from top down, where um the CEO says, wow, we really need to shore up our, you know, Q3 revenues. Um, what can we do? Okay, let's, let's create that product we we're thinking of, or let's create another, um, uh, an extension to a product that's already successful, because we need to keep, you know, and so everything rolls downhill, you know, the yeah. message goes down, and then finally, it gets down to the product people. And by the time it gets there, all this work has been done strategic work and the research and and so forth um uh and and it's like a game of telephone so um in in the uk they call it whispering down the lane so you say something to somebody who turns around quickly and says it to somebody else and at the end it bears no resemblance to the original message and i think that kind of happens with this linear uh innovation style which is left over as you say from the industrial age you know it's sort of a a factory idea. Um, it's really better to innovate in a network fashion. So everybody kind of working at once, each doing their own thing and talking to each other in real time. Yeah. It, it speeds everything up. Um, it stops this idea of, of, well, see what happens in the game of telephone where you, you give an instruction to someone who turns around and gives it to somebody else. Um, there's no turning back. Right. There's mm. no questioning. You, you can't say, um, I don't really, you know, you've given me this job to design a product, but I don't agree with the research. No, yeah. that's um, no. The research is finished. That's yeah. locked. Yeah. That's sealed. <laughs> you, know, you can't go back. And we've done that. And that's based on, you know, executive input. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, based on uh, ideas we got from our, um, you know, our board of directors who say we need to do this. No, we can't question any of yeah. that. We're, we need focus groups and yeah. <laughs> not yeah, that anyone believes in them. Just do your job, okay? Yeah, yeah. So um, what that does is um, it cuts you off from new information or other views that you might have coming from a different skill set. So designers have an ability to, to um, intuit things that research wouldn't even think of looking at. Mm. Um, and often it's wrong, right? But it but it's worth considering. So, if if you do the do it the other way, where everyone's working simultaneously, so you've got researchers researching, designers designing, strategists strategizing, all in all at the same time in a kind of chaotic but um, um, 
maybe more true to life way of working. You sort of create this single brain out of all these people because that's mm. the way your brain works when you're, you know, trying to solve a problem. You're not going A, B, C, D. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work that way. That's yeah, just yeah. a that's just a way of organizing collaboration. Yeah, so that everyone knows what everyone's doing. But yeah. but it in 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 the world of innovation, that's that's a detriment. So you you really need to have all all the ideas crashing into each other because it's the when they bump into each other that creates new ideas. And so you want everyone working at the same time, working back and forth, learning from each other, um, being exposed to new ways of thinking, and then out of that chaos, um, some sort of sense starts to emerge. Some sort mm-hmm. of brilliance comes out of that. Um, and you're not closing off any doors by saying, no, we're done with that phase. We're done with research. Go on and design from here. Yeah. Designer may come up with something amazing that no one had thought of, and we can research that. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, check that assumption, right? Yeah. And, and see how that fit into strategy. Yeah. And, and, and the, it's, 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 it's advanced creativity is what it is. It's it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Uh, you can work this way and you're confident enough to, to expose yourself to failure in your group of people. I mean, then you can do it. Yeah. And uh, the results are often just magical. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really agree. I mean, it, we've been trying that method uh, for the last couple of years. And, and it's always a conversation with the client where they want to force the waterfall model which you described the linear way i think you know it probably has to do with with what we talked about like the industrial age and that's the way you run companies but you're trying to squeeze uh, an animal into a machine that doesn't really fit and so i think yeah. like ideas and innovation they look very linear and logical in retrospect so a lot of ideas you come up with and when you explain them they seem very logical like why they make sense and you can connect them back to the source the insight but you can't do right. it the other way because that's not how we're wired to think. You just create movement and you go like in random places and suddenly it all falls into place if you're lucky. That's, that's a very good um, insight. I think you can, you can look at a successful piece of work project and, and analyze it and, and, and say exactly why it works and how beautiful and elegant it is. Yeah. But the process of getting there was likely not elegant. It yeah, was inelegant, yeah. messy, confusing. Um, it just they they just set the bar high enough. Like oh, we're not going to quit until we yeah. get this to be elegant. Yeah, right? until we just bang it into shape and get rid of all the the unnecessary parts, and and then it, then you analyze it and it looks great. But you can't work the other way around. You can't build it logically. You can't build through analysis. Yeah, you yeah. have to build through synthesis. So so it's really um, it's. It's all about get, getting a group of people to work like a single genius. Yeah, yeah. And it's totally fun when you see that at work. And so I think that's that's what one of the things that um, companies need to embrace is having pockets of that at work in the company. The whole company can't work like that because it would be chaos. But yeah. when you're innovating, that's where that comes into play. You need teams of people that can uh can can get in the dragon pit and fight that dragon, um, do something that's never been done before, and then sell it through the company. Yeah. Like, tell stories around it. Get everyone to understand why it's good. Let them give them the time to analyze it. Help them analyze it so they can see the elegance and beauty of it. Um, and all that takes time and um, and and skills that 
let's face it, we were not taught in MBA yeah. school. Yeah. And that's what you have just written a new book about, right? Oh, you're in the process. You're finishing it off. Isn't that really about? Yeah. Scramble. That, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, a, a business thriller. So it's a, it's a business book written as a story yeah. um, about a company that um, is in trouble through no fault of their own. And they need to innovate their way out of it. Um, and they don't have the tools to do that, so they have to figure that out. And they yeah. get some help from a company who acts as a catalyst to help them do that. But but it's it's hard work, and um, they run into all the usual things, um, politics and emotions and hurdles, unexpected things thrown in their path. Um, but in the process, um, the reader can sense like how this is supposed to work. What What is it like to be in a group that uses this chaotic all at once process the no process process there is a process it's just not linear (laughs) so you know um and so i could i could explain that in a book like a regular business book and give you the steps but then i'd be doing exactly uh, what i (laughs) but i I wouldn't be demonstrating the no process process i'd be giving it a linear um linear approach so yeah so that's why i did it like that yeah that's wonderful. We're going to do a separate podcast on that book when it's uh, oh. when it's coming out, right? So, so oh, then we can fantastic. dive into that. Yeah. But that concludes the first part of the Martin Neumeyer workshop. There is another part available. Again, if you want to connect with Marty, go to martyneumeyer.com, and I really suggest signing up for his newsletter. And I also warmly recommend getting all his books, even start with one. You won't regret it, I promise you. I am also very thankful for all engagement, whether you subscribe to this channel or if you just want to send a comment or a question. I also do videos. I post them on social media and on YouTube and also on Instagram TV. You can go to wonderagency.com or find me on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to engage with you and take care.